0: I don't even hear when the owner says and is quoted as saying, I'm trying to comply. They're singling me out. I don't even hear that. In fact, Joanne and I walk around the city a lot because we live just around the corner. And uh, oftentimes we're coming in that stretch. We walk by the Brunswick Motel, that section between uh, Queen Street and Duke Street, and it smells funny. It smells odd in the nooks and crannies of that part of the walk. And uh, I find myself usually thinking, you know, Joanne and I are usually talking about some theological thing about salvation or how great our marriage is, typical stuff that overseer bishops do. It just started happening when I became overseer. It was, I don't know why, but it happens. It's in a Sunday, you don't tell lies on Sunday. But usually, when we walk by that odd smelling portion, I usually think of some judging thought about the owner. I think, how could this general manager be so, so cold? And I get worked up over someone I have never met and a hotel I have only walked by and never been in. I want you to hold that image of the Brunswick Hotel. Somebody said, a nameless person back here said it's a dump, okay? But just hold that image of the Brunswick Motel, because we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But it's time for a biblical interpretation interlude. Uh, in between the stories, So that's what we're calling it, a biblical interpretation interlude. And in this scripture that Harley and Kate just read out of the Gospel, there is a bunch of themes, a lot of themes, and sometimes it's good to take a broad stroke. But I'm going to just break character a little bit, and I'm going to focus on just two verses of this Gospel text. And it's the last two verses, and I'm going to read it, Um, just to implant it again in your mind. Verses 36 and verses 37. This is where I want to focus. It says, He, Jesus, took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me now when i hear those verses the traditional image that's created at least maybe in your mind or my mind too is all the all the experiences that jesus had with children get all glommed together and so when i see this usually perhaps what came to your mind is that jesus is holding a child up in his arms and jesus has a wonderful smile on his face with perfect teeth and the baby is laughing and cooing and everybody's oh oh oh, it's so cute and then Jesus says I would like you to approach the world with the wonder of the child and the playfulness of a six-year-old and when you do that verily I say to you the bluebird of spiritual happiness Will rest upon your shoulder now and forevermore. Let's eat. That's what comes to my mind when I think of that and when I look at that. And that's a comforting message and it's even encouraging. And if you do that, it actually makes a difference in your life. That's all good. That's all good. And there's other places where Jesus leans to that kind of thinking but the fact is in this text that's not what Jesus is saying at all the key that unlocks the simple truth that's embedded in these two verses comes from this question what's the focus what's the focus of Christ's comments is the focus on having an attitude Of a child or is the focus on our attitude toward the child that makes all the difference I mean you take the first one and you get the laughing baby you get the cuteness you get the safety but if you take the other one it leads to standing alone it leads to taking in new information. It means learning something new. Going against the social norm of the day. Ooh, this isn't comfortable. This isn't cute. It means taking a deeper jump into the way of Jesus, which is what a church is about. It's about taking a deeper jump into Jesus, and I believe every one of you wants that. You don't want safety and only comfort. You want to be able to take a deeper jump into Jesus that it makes a difference. And that's why it takes a lifetime to live it out. The statement, I believe, in this text is asking us to change the way we look at the child. Not to become a child, but to change the way we look at a child. So, if you're going along with me on this, if this is what Jesus is saying, then the obvious question, who is the child? Who is the child? Now you can take it the first way, the literal way, if you are one who looks at Scripture literally, well then it's the laughing baby. It's, you, know, you, gotta, you, know, you learn spiritual lessons by peering around the nursery, nursery door. That's what you learn. But... That's not what it is. For me, I broaden this. That who is the child is more a symbolic way of getting at a deeper truth. I mean, a child, when you look at it historically, to the audience that Jesus was speaking to, a child in this day was simply a marginalized entity, a societal invisibility, a non-person legally, And property of the father what's actually happening in this text that gets obscured sometimes with what I do in pushing all these children's stories together what gets lost is that Jesus is making a direct challenge to the societal norms of the day that's what he's doing And it is this simple truth that opens up and changes our view. It may even change your view this morning of immigration. It may even affect your view of how you look at gays and lesbians in the church. It may affect how you see the power of God being transferred in the here and now. It's a practical teaching. On how the power of God is accessed in the here and now that we can feel. Oftentimes, people are saying, Oh, well, how do I know God exists? You know, I need to feel him, I need to touch him, I need to do this. And we work and we shape God so that can happen. And we shape the mystery out of God with certainty, which is the total antithesis of what following Jesus is. Spiritual maturity is that mystery opens up and certainty gets a little bit closer and smaller the longer we follow Jesus and truly understand what He's asking of us. So what is being said as we sit here is He's asking us to go against the social norm of the day. And as Titus alluded to in the call to worship, including the marginalized. But again, including the marginalized in this day and age and in this culture is becoming like saying missional. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's like getting together. They're getting mixed together. It's like all are welcome on your sign. Nobody sees it. To go out of your way to include those who are outside the social norm. And Jesus is heading towards something that I I, I can't wait to get to, but i got to set this up. Because Jesus is challenging the social fabric of an entire society. And here's the thing that I really, really enjoy. He's encouraging the church to take the lead. He's encouraging the church to be ahead of the curve. Lead and learn. Lead, take in new information and learn. It's a constant evolving process. It's not like peer and see, take a step, what's everybody else doing, what's society saying, and then all of a sudden the social norm gets mixed up with biblical interpretation and you stay put. Jesus is asking everyone in this text to lead and learn. Now, is this inconsistent with any other of Jesus' teachings? I mean, think of it. I mean, his very first sermon that's recorded in Luke 4 says he was all about bringing freedom. That's the point of the gospel is to bring freedom. And where was Jesus most effective? Titus said Jesus spent his time outside the inner circle. He spent his time outside Lancaster County. He spent his time including people that said, Don't. Now, we got some rules that those people can't come in the church. He didn't spend his time doing that. He trained the first female evangelist, he touched lepers. He included outcasts. And then that great story in John chapter 9 where that young man, he was 40 years old, was blind. And Jesus says, this man's blindness is not the result of sin. He was born that way. And as the story progresses, the man is healed, he's interrogated or whatever, and the church kicks him out, and he's tumbling down the church steps, and at the bottom of the last church steps, that's where Jesus re-enters the story. And he reinvites this man back into his church. I mean, is it inconsistent with Christ's way of being if we are Christ's followers. But we can keep going. I mean, what does Zacchaeus tell us? What does the Syrophoenician woman tell us? What does Matthew sitting in a tax booth tell us? What these stories tell us is that anyone who says yes to Jesus is welcome in the church. Anyone who says yes to Jesus is welcome in the church. That is how Jesus operated. That's the examples that we have. And I want to just say, that Jesus here is giving us new information. He's already asked us as a church to be ahead of the curve. And that's exciting because I want to be part of a church like that. I do not want to be part of a church that says, this is my... Seat. You know, Everybody says, oh, the church is such a stick in the mud. You know, with a changing culture, we all have to have something, some anchor that we can hold on to. Well, the fact is, Jesus is giving us new information here and it is a scientific principle and I know there is a scientist at East Chestnut Street here so talk to me privately afterwards don't challenge me yet but it is a scientific principle that if an organism does not take in new information it dies. It dies that's that whole point of the church is evolving as it takes in new information as it leads and learns it's in flux that's a powerful example and Jesus is giving us new information these two verses become the prism through which we look at any story of Jesus now a brief interlude for those of you whose objection meter is in the danger zone right now. There may be one of you. So if your objection meter is going up, and you know I don't know you well enough to know, but perhaps statistically there are people like that in every church. So I challenge you. I'm going to make you go into the extra danger zone. I challenge you. To find a story in the Gospels where Jesus did not include persons outside the social norm in his church go find that that'll get you into the Gospels but find one and you don't have my email address so you're on your own <laughs> the fact is Jesus is asking us to lead and learn—that's a fact of it, you know. So when we say welcome, Jesus is saying this is a very, very powerful countercultural move that's done with, you know, perfect teeth and holding up a laughing baby. He's, you know, it's almost like—I uh, don't know what it's almost like. You—you you know what it's almost like. But it's very, very counter. And challenging but you know I like it that Jesus asks us to find ways to be ahead of the curve to creatively be in meetings that don't just I don't know do reports and approve minutes but they which is good and I'm glad you email them to me so I know what's going on in East Chestnut Street okay keep doing it I want to make sure uh, that that's clear But the fact is, I like it when I read the Gospel and I catch the the feeling that Jesus is saying, I want you to be ahead of the curve. And I want you to give freedom for people to be ahead of the curve. And so we're all interacting together so that we learn what it is to go deeper in the understanding of Jesus' way. But it gets even more adventurous. It's not just go against the grain, do something different today, um, you know, give you know a cup of water, or, or I don't know, I, I don't want to get too trivial. but it goes beyond that. It gets way more adventurous because as these, this scripture continues, it says that there is some power. Jesus says there is some power that is transformed, I mean, transferred, that you can sense when you live out this truth, when you welcome someone who is invisible, who's not welcome in the church, because we've already established there isn't anybody that Jesus didn't welcome in the church if they are moving towards Jesus. That's the key. And then once they're moving towards Jesus, hey, here's the mystery part. I let God take care of that. It's not my job. So, there is this power transfer if you live out this truth. And I was mindful this morning of the, some of you know St. Benedict. He has this thing he calls the ladder of humility, a way to grow into the love of God. And the 10th rung, the 10th rung of that ladder Is to be empathetic not superior to others so this isn't this kind of step down this isn't kind of like well we'll include all people because whatever it is a leveling of the playing field that you know popping back to the servant of all it happens this power transfer what happens is it is a level playing field and you can feel it within your soul when that happens And the fact is, we're all marginal, okay? Again, I've said a couple times, I don't know you as well as I'd like, but we're all marginal. We all have our rough spots. We all have our invisibility spots. We all have our blind spots, our outcast spots. But verse 36 and 37 is like spiritual zout. For those of you who do not do laundry, zout is a stain remover. I put in a load of laundry this morning so that was on my mind so Jesus says and this power is transferred and it is when the church welcomes all who are moving towards Jesus Jesus says you're actually welcoming me this this Christ spirit this presence of Christ that is within us that we sing about, we talk about, we hope for, we want to be moving around, it begins to hop around in the church when we do that. When we, we level the playing field and we don't put up barriers and we live as Jesus did. And it starts happening between people. And that's what we yearn for. I do. I yearn for that spirit presence, to go between people because when that happens you like it it feels feels good now I know not everybody is ready for this kind of truth it takes a lifetime to live out Jesus teachings but what I find interesting is it even goes deeper than that it's not just that there's this power transfer that you receive and give when you open the church As Jesus did, you welcome me, he says. He goes even deeper. He says, not only do you welcome me, but you welcome God. I mean, whoa! You welcome God. There is some power that is transferred. And again, I use it intentionally, some power, because I am not going to do a one, two, three power of God you do this this and this you will get to the power I'm not going to do that I like to keep it broad here but there is something that's transferred when we let the gospel be free some kind of special presence of God Jesus is saying awaits a church that opens the gate and instead of spending time looking around for locks For God to work, the church needs that kind of welcoming spirit. A door without locks. Lead and learn. Now let's get back to the Brunswick Motel. Hotel. That image. Get it back in your mind. I'll give you three seconds. On Tuesday... I'm sitting in Cafe 18, which is my new favorite breakfast place for meetings, and I'm talking with Sankar Ray. Now, Sankar is the pastor of the Bhutanese Nepali Church of Lancaster, which is a Mennonite church in our district of the Lancaster Mennonite Conference. And so we're meeting there. Well, they meet on Saturday morning, actually, at West End Mennonite Fellowship. AND SOME OF YOU KNOW THAT THERE ARE OVER A THOUSAND NEPALI IN LANCASTER. SO HE'S LEADING THIS CHURCH. AND OVER THE LABOR DAY WEEKEND TWO WEEKS AGO, THEY HAD A NEPALI CHURCH CONFERENCE. NEPALI CHRISTIANS FROM ALL OVER THE COUNTRY WERE COMING TO LANCASTER. AND SANKAR WAS HOSTING IT. AND I WAS EAGER TO TALK ABOUT IT TUESDAY BECAUSE IT WAS OVER. WE FINALLY HAD A CHANCE TO MEET. And a little bit of historical perspective, this is the fourth year of this Nepali conference. The first year had about 50. Second year had a few more. And Sankar, when we met, said, I'm gonna top out the registration at 300. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, uh, maybe Maybe we should get together and plan a little bit about this. So back in the spring, we had it all set up, we planned. We had it to meet at James Street Mennonite Church on Friday and Saturday, and then people would stay in homes, and we reserved the entire MCC welcoming place, all four houses, and we had a room at the Marriott uh, for Sunday at a good price, and I felt good about the rates and the venue. Well, shortly before the website goes up, I find out that Suncar has switched the conference to the Brunswick Motel. And about a week later I read in the paper that a portion of the hotel was closed down. Okay, so my over responsibility is kicking in. I'm the overseer, I'm the bishop. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to uh uh you know, it's like you know, my plans, my plans. All the work we did you're going to the Brunswick. So, you know, I called him up and I said, Sankar, do you know what you're doing? Uh, you know, have you talked with the owner? You know, whatever. So he had the conference at the Brunswick. So this Tuesday, this past Tuesday, is when we were going to talk about it. And I was very eager to find out how it went. So I said to Sankar, I said, Sankar, how did it go? First words out of his mouth. It was amazing. I wasn't expecting that. And he went on to say, Ashtok Bot, the general manager, was so welcoming. You see, this was the guy that I was never met but was thinking about every time I walked by the Brunswick Motel. He said, he was so welcoming. Instead of 300 people, we had almost 500 people. And I wasn't going to turn anybody away. I didn't know what to do. I went to Mr. Bott and I said, I can't arrange the chairs in any geometric pattern or whatever to get everybody to be seated. What can I do? Mr. Bott opened three more ballrooms for him for free. And then he opened a room for the children for free. Then he let us use his kitchen with all his pots and pans All his utensils, and he let us cook. People said the food was one of the highlights. He said in all the other conferences, nobody ever mentioned anything about the food. That was something we endured. And then, you know, here I am sitting here listening to this, knowing that every time I walk by the Brunswick, I'm judging this guy. HE SAYS, uh, ALSO, HE LET THE PEOPLE CHECK OUT LATE, NO EXTRA CHARGE, BECAUSE THEY WERE ENJOYING THE CONFERENCE SO MUCH. AND THEN HE SAYS, IT WAS PERFECT FOR Nepali PEOPLE. YOU SEE, HE SAID, MR. Bot, HE WORKS WITH LOWER CLASS PEOPLE. HE IS FROM INDIA. WE UNDERSTAND EACH OTHER'S CULTURE. And when I hear all the bad things about the hotel, Sankar said, I feel bad for him. At that moment, I entered this scripture in a new way. While I was eating one scoop of granola and drinking mint tea, I had to take in new information. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me lead and learn let's pray Jesus I thank you that you challenge us you encourage us and, and you give us power and I pray in the name of Jesus for that kind of power that kind of resting power, that kind of gentle power, that kind of promise that you have given us, that we might be empathetic and not superior to others and open the gospel of freedom to all who are walking towards you. I share that with you, Lord God, and I ask that you bless these Chestnut Street Congregation, wherever each one is individually, spiritually, I just ask that you would encourage, bless, and be grace-filled upon each one and this place. In Jesus' welcoming name, full of freedom and abounding in grace, amen.